Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Black and Lit, powered by Full Service Radio. We're your hosts, Jasmine and Priscilla, and we're broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. Black and Lit is a multimedia brand celebrating dope black people doing the things they love without boundaries. Each week, we're bringing you inspiring stories of tastemakers, artists, and entrepreneurs of color who are taking risks to create the life they want. Today's guest is a D.C.-based creative entrepreneur who's responsible for introducing two high-fashion streetwear retail stores here in the district. His name is Dominic Adams. He also goes by Dom, and he's a co-founder of Somewhere, a newly opened boutique meets coffee shop located in the Navy Yard. Dom was also the founding team member for Maketo. He came up with the concept, the name, And if you're not familiar, Maketo is a super dope retail store on 8th Street that also doubles as a restaurant. So we're so excited to have him here. Welcome, Dom. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Welcome. It's so great to have you. I remember I first learned about somewhere actually on Instagram. I'm scrolling through and this new space pops up on my feed and I'm like, what's this? It's like this (laughs) super sleek, very minimalist, white space Mm -hmm. in southeast dc i'm like reggie we got to go check this out reggie is one of my friends who's a musician from the area so we go to check it out and i meet you in passing that was like back in august uh right before you guys had opened and everything um and i was just like walking around checking out the clothes and everything beautiful store this is amazing but what first caused you to become obsessed with streetwear culture um I think it sort of goes back to the basis of um, kind of like what I like to think about what street rare naturally was when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. so a lot of it was more so because fashion, you know, if you don't speak French, if you don't speak Italian, if you don't use a sewing machine, it's like, well, you have to figure out how to make the best of what you have available to you. Right. So for me, it was always like, man, like, you know, I see all these, like I grew up with my my mom and my grandma and my aunts and all that, they used to go to Woody's every Saturday. And my grandma used to work there, actually. I remember Woody's. Oh, <laughs> it would start at, like, 7 in the morning. And they would start with, like, a hair appointment. And then it would morph into a makeup appointment. Then they, then they would shop. And then they would get some lunch. And then they would go back and shop some more. I was like, oh, man, I just want to leave. But, you know, you're, like, five years old. It's like, who are you going to tell to leave? You, you can't. There's no Uber back then. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So, for me, it was always, like, okay, then you go to the barbershop on Saturday morning, you would see, like, these outfits sort of put together. And it would go from high to low. And I remember polo being, like, so dope. And, um, you know, that sort of, for me, was always like, man, well, okay, I can't go to Milan for a runway show. Uh, I'm not really old enough to go to Paris. So what's happening in the street, what's happening in my neighborhood, and that was, like, very important to me. So that's where, like, I think the the basis of street sort of started for me. Yeah, so you grew up in D.C., right? I did, I where did. did you grow up? Uh, so I primarily spent most of my childhood uh, in Southwest, which is now, I guess they call it by like uh, subway stops now. <laughs> so yeah, there uh, are so many weird names for the neighborhoods <laughs> that I cannot keep up with. Yeah, Apparently like, we're in Admo. And oh yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm used to just regular <laughs> That's Admo. That's a thing. Yeah. Uh, right. 
But yeah, uh, like primarily uh, 4th and P Street, uh, mm-hmm. Southwest. Um, and like we, at one point we lived directly on P Street, then we moved directly across the street and then lived on 4th Street uh, for most of my life and all of my like elementary and junior high schools in Southwest. And then I went to uh, high school um, at an interesting high school, which is School Without Walls on GW's mm-hmm. campus. My dad actually went there. Oh, hey, okay. <laughs> Alumni, we everywhere. <laughs> we out here. Uh, yeah, so, yep, BC all my life in terms of, like, growing up, and then I went away to school in the tri-state area in New Jersey. So Okay. So, I mean, most of the time people that want a career in fashion, they leave whatever city they're in, you know, whether it's D.C. or Middle America and go to New York mm-hmm. or Paris or what have you. But you decided to stick around here and put your roots down here in fashion. Well, that was Why me. did you do that? It was an <laughs> accident, man. Oh, man. I wish was my mom was around. Yeah, it was a complete <laughs> accident. Uh, you know, they always say, you know, God kind of puts you where he wants you to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, when I went to school, I had every intention on being go to school, my major is going to be in the marine biome and environmental science, and then I'm going to get a law degree, and I'm going to be a lobbyist, and, I'm gonna do, and man, I got there, and all this stuff changed, uh, wow. and every time I try to run away from what I'm doing now, it things kept happening to put me back mm-hmm. into that circle, and so, you know, it was never my intention, even like my first, like, I didn't get a, I didn't have a, a job in retail until I was like maybe 25, 26 years old. Oh, which wow. is like very not normal um, in terms of people that end up having careers in like fashion and retail mm-hmm. and things like that. And uh, yeah, it's just things kept leading me to this. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was one of those things that it was a pure interest. And they say, you know, what keeps you up late at night is, and it, that becomes the same thing that wakes you up in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what you should spend your day doing. So after you graduate and come back home to D.C., mm-hmm. what was sort of that first job for you before you even got into the retail space? So my first job when I came back was working um, at an airport uh, for a, a now defunct uh, airline called Spirit Air. Um, and it was like one of those like value jet kind of things. Wait, not the spirit that you can take to Miami for like twenty dollars. Oh, no, right? no, no, that's spirit. I'm sorry. I call it spirit. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, that's it was not like that. Around. It was actually called uh <laughs> What was it called? Fly Eye, maybe Liberty Air. It was something like that. What okay. were you doing for them? Uh, well, I was supposed to be the guy at the takeout counter. Uh, I mean, at the check-in counter, checking bags in. But you know, like my sort of uh, attention issues uh, became an issue. So you know, we would have rain delays, and I would end up playing cards with, with kids and playing Uno and on the job. Yeah, I mean, because I, I was customer airport. service. I was impacting okay. customers' experiences. Uh, I, I, I was the master of spotting, like, a drunk passenger in line and being like, oh, bro, you can't get on the plane. Like, oh, let's go wow. hang out. So I would, like, take him to the hospital and do all all the things that make the customer journey good. Right. But people sort of forget about it. So I was kind of like the guy kind of in between the cracks. And then I remember the day I left, I just I couldn't get out my car. Um, you know, because, mm. I, I, like, I grew up. My dad was always like, oh, man, I don't want to see you wear a uniform. Like, that's why you're going to school. That's why you have all these experiences. Mm. Like, you need to be doing something that you really want to do. And it just stuck with me every day on that, like, hour-long drive out to Dallas. Mm. And uh, one day I just couldn't move, and I was like, I'm out. So and you just quit it. on the spot? Quit on the spot. That's how I roll. With no so, plan? I never a plan, man. I'm reckless. That's how I do it. Was I your that. dad disappointed? Like, how did you sort of sort um, of face your dad and those sort of expectations? He was super relieved, actually. Like, it was very much like... He was like, cool. Now, my mom was like, oh, like, you should really think about this. My dad mm. was like, you know, if it's like 
messing with your soul, you should really take care of your soul. Um, and my mom was more so, and it wasn't that she was like not supportive, because she, I mean, she's my mom, so she's mm-hmm. supportive, but she was more like, hey man, you're growing up, you're an adult, you need to really think about these things. Mm-hmm. So my next job uh, was wearing a suit on K Street, and I was in corporate sales, and woo, woo it wow. was so fancy. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, made a lot of money, mm-hmm. met a lot of not great people and uh yeah it kind of worked that way if you think about it i mean you're almost still in a uniform at that point this is true (laughs) this is very true like everybody on wall street corporate america essentially looks the same looks the same yeah and that was like sort of my even with that job again it was an accident i had a friend who was trying to work his way up the ladder and he essentially was like a a customer service agent uh for this document service thing Mm -hmm. and he was like man i can get a promotion if like, I find somebody taking my place. I was like, oh, I'll do it. How much it pays? Oh, that's cool. I'll do it. And I got sort of good at it because, again, I was always, like, not going to do the normal thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I started looking in the mail rooms. And I'm like, oh, well, you kind of look like me. Oh, you like you like sneakers. Oh, you like the clothes. I like, let me talk to you about this other thing. Mm-hmm. So I became sort of this relatable thing. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of moved up the ladder pretty quick doing that job. So. Wow. So where did fashion come to play? So how did you get from, you know, wearing a suit, working on K Street, and then suddenly coming up with this crazy idea called Maketo? Well, in 2007 was when the Obama campaign started. Mm -hmm. That's also when the um, economy just tanked. Yep. Uh, And so the economy tanked, and I walked in one day, and I went from having a driver and having a fancy office to being like, hey, yo, bro, you... uh, we don't really have enough money to, like, keep you here. Um, and so I was like, whoa, Damn. what do I want to do? And so I was really uh, good friends through guerrilla marketing campaigns and the agency that they had uh, with the guys that founded Major. And so I ended up going to Major to help out, I think, doing, like, a Black Friday thing or something. And what's Major, for anybody that doesn't know? Major, more or less, was the first uh, premium sneaker boutique in dc so they were the first ones in to like georgetown and georgetown yeah. legendary georgetown mm-hmm. legendary ducky underdog founded it mm-hmm. um they probably i mean don't quote me on this probably the first store in the city to have official collaborations with adidas reebok and like nike like in the same year mm. so really big deal uh really really honored to have had that position kind of available to me and then they changed something structurally there and then i found myself as like more or less like the apparel buyer and de facto stylist on staff that really sort of um, knew how to handle sort of celebrity clients and things like that. Mm-hmm. Then I spent some time there. And then, you know, the more time you spend kind of like realizing someone else's dream, you start kind of fading in t- like away from yours. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, again, one day, literally a box fell off a shelf. And anybody who's been to major, especially in the old location, knows the amount of inventory and product that was in there. So this box fell off a shelf and just dinged me upside the head. And it was like, oh whoa. Oh, my God. And I was like, you know what? It's time to leave. <laughs> <laughs> that and was like God coming down and hitting you in the head right. <laughs> telling you, make and, a move. And that was that. And wow. uh, yeah, How long were you there? I was there for three years. And okay. I like the box almost hit me almost like three years <laughs> to the date. Like, it was really spooky and strange. Uh, but yeah, I like, got out of there. Again, didn't really have a plan, but I had a couple offers at some bigger companies. Mm-hmm. And um, as I was kind of trying to figure it out, I got this call uh, from the Durkle office. And Durkle was a, a brand here that was, I guess, arguably the biggest streetwear brand to get outside of the city. So mm-hmm. it ended up being in, like, 
I don't know, maybe like 40 countries worldwide and mm-hmm. all these stories. Started and stuff. in like 2005 or something like that? Yeah, somewhere, some, around, like, somewhere around that. Yeah, yeah that time. Yeah. And so that, you know, it grew into this big wholesale business and it became sort of a staple of like cool kids here. Mm-hmm. I get this call and I'm like, oh, I know these. These are my homies. Like, what's up? And they're like, yo, we want to do a, a, a flagship store. Uh, in D.C. I said, you guys are out of your damn mind. The economy is so bad. <laughs> um, and so we talked about it. And I was definitely whole, wholeheartedly with it. And they said, well, you know, you're the only one that can kind of curate these other brands around it and sort of put these other things around it. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, the building's still too big. What else are you going to do? And so they had sort of this idea saying, hey, well, maybe if we put in, like, some food or a food truck or something outside. Mm-hmm. And long story short, that morphed into this bigger sort of grander thing later mm-hmm. uh, that ended up becoming... Uh, you know, what we just mentioned. And, and is uh, that how you met uh, Will Sharp, who's behind Durkel? Yeah, so Will and I, uh, we still don't know how we met. Um, but <laughs> That's we, a sign of a good friendship, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's a good friendship. <laughs> I mean, he, he's a good guy. Uh, he's a legend in his own right. Um, I think a lot of things that Will does, brand-wise, and he sees, he almost sees it um, years, eons, like mm-hmm. beyond where we're at right now. And I think that's just because he, he keeps himself creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we I I think I think I met Will at a trade show in Vegas. I think, mm-hmm. but I'm not really sure. Um, all I know is since like 2007 or eight, some kind of way, we and this really crazy guy have been like talking like every week. So mm-hmm. sort of how it worked out. That's awesome. And so Will's your partner in somewhere. He is my partner in somewhere. So okay. we are very left brain, right brain. And so Will, I'm trying to think of how to describe Will. Will is more or less the creative director and sort of like the engine of thinking about branding and the digital side. Mm-hmm. And I'm more or less like the hammer that thinks about how the experience sort of shapes and like what needs to like sort of push forward. And then we sort of split um, directional ideas like down the middle. So. Mm-hmm. I feel like me and Priscilla are yeah. similar. Very that way. similar, yeah. I'm definitely the ideas person, just uh-huh. like coming to Jasmine with like, oh, I have this idea, we can do this. Yeah. Da, da, da. And Jasmine's like, but why or how are we going to do I'm like, this? what are the logistics? The how are we going to execute it? Right. What's the who, yeah. what, when, where? That's the important yeah. part, yeah. yeah. So, but you need a little bit of both in order yeah. to have something, yeah. actually. So, yeah, the two of us, we switch off pretty well. Um, and then we have a, um, another partner, uh, Steve place that comes mm-hmm. from the digital sphere mm-hmm. um and he's very talented in his own right in terms of uh steve is like the grand idea guy like he'll mm. think of something that you just would never think was even something you should do and if you just trust in it it sort of works itself out so so walk us through the experience that is somewhere because it's very minimal. What is yeah. that experience that you want people to have when they walk through those doors? Mm-hmm. So somewhere is all about um, I can remember, and again, a lot of things that we do really relate to um, us uh, being these kids that sort of you know were born in the '80s and sort of cut our teeth more or less in the '90s and mm-hmm. these millennial kids, so to speak, even though that's a buzzword right now. <laughs> right. Um, and just the introduction to like fashion. So if streetwear was created as a response to fashion being unwelcoming, mm-hmm. and then streetwear comes along and then it becomes, okay, we're going to be the fashion that they wouldn't let us do. Mm-hmm. And then streetwear started to become really standoffish and very, um, hey, you got those shoes. I know that came out eight years ago. That's not right. cool. Or you don't have the right color of this and that. And so it became that thing. Um, and so... Uh, for somewhere, it was always thought about, okay, well, 
we need to do kind of like what Apple did uh, for technology stores. And so when I was growing up, CompUSA was like a big thing and like these little computer centers. And if you didn't know how to build a computer, you couldn't go to them. And it was a real weird experience. Mm. And so streetwear stores sort of started to become that. High fashion stores had already been that. And streetwear stores started to be that. So they started sizing you up. So the whole idea with somewhere was, I'm going to put you in this white room with no distractions. There's nothing on the wall. There's no paintings. There's no TVs. There's nothing to distract you from interacting with me. So there's no circles. It's just me and you. And so if it's just me and you, we have to at least lock eyes. We have to at least put our phones down. We have to at least have a conversation. So that's why the coffee is the way it is. That's why um, we use the polycarbonate on the facade to allow as much sunlight as possible. So even if you're having a bad day, if you come to somewhere, most of the time, you'll have a good day. Yeah. It depends on, you know, where your spirit carries you that day. Mm-hmm. But there's so much light that it just, you know, it just perks you up naturally. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously you serve coffee or tea, so a little caffeine goes along with a lot of people. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So the idea somewhere is for you to come in, interact with us. So hopefully you start your day off with us. And if not, hopefully something on the apparel side brings you in to finish the day with us. So it's all about having that conversation. So we sort of build it as the international fashion conversation happening in Washington, D.C., where Mm -hmm. clothes are important, but I think that sometimes we avoid the conversation on what's happening in D.C. and out of D.C. Mm. Interesting. So I know there's a lot of politics behind streetwear culture. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about deciding what brands you're going to put in the store? Like, what's your curation process? Because um, it seems very hyper curated, and you've done an excellent job thank at you. it. Yeah, it's very thought out. Um, so we're very blessed to travel. And so you know, in a lot of the space that we sort of live in, all these stores start to, to look alike. Mm-hmm. And so I used to get so excited to even go to, like, Annapolis. And I used to get excited to go to Baltimore or Richmond or Raleigh, North Carolina and, and Miami and these places because you would go to these places and then the selection would be different. Mm-hmm. And now it's almost like if you're the sneaker shop or you're the streetwear shop or you're the um, fashion store, mm-hmm. more or less your selection becomes the same. And some of it's economics and some of it's is people being comfortable with, um, I think, being themselves mm-hmm. and having opinions. And so um, I see it as a worldview uh, with a DC guys like ball cap and like eyeglasses on. And mm-hmm. so we sort of see the, the lens in that way. So I say that to say that when we bring in a brand, we might bring in the same brand and another guy across town brings it in, mm-hmm. but we'll bring it in our way. Because when you touch down and you're in, like we were in Tokyo, for example, and everyone was wearing... Um, Comme Garçons, Un Plus, and like uh, mm-hmm. Issey Miyake. And they mm-hmm. are wearing these huge pants, and they're walking down the street. And, you know, that's something I see on a runway or I see on Instagram, but didn't see it actually in action. It's like, whoa, this isn't fashion. This is how you do it. Right. Um, as opposed to here, someone might be like, ooh, who's that guy? What are those, you know? And uh, we sort of try to bring that uh, experience through travel um, and experience uh, here. So we try to go a little left but we really truly only buy what we like so Mm, yeah even the name somewhere is inspired by the japanese streetwear store nowhere Mm -hmm. uh which is sort of their sort of ethos is around sort of storytelling through retail Mm -hmm. and all of that um how do you sort of hope to tell a story 
through sort of the retail shopping experience at somewhere in yeah. DC. So uh, yeah, I think thank you for that. Uh, yeah, the nowhere reference. Um, that was such a mythical place when we were kids, mm-hmm. and you know, pre well pre internet. I mean, we had internet, but it was dial up. It was a little slow. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> AOL. Uh, yeah, could, you know, you kept getting CDs from Blockbuster, putting yep. them in. It's gonna be twenty more hours, mom. Let me do it. You can't use the phone right now. Um, so yeah, through the storytelling for us. It's it's some part nostalgia, but I think that to properly like understand a brand is is really important. And so what we also try not to do is we try not to get away from what brands do well. And I think brands when they try to expand, you know, you'll have like a denim brand and they'll start making denim, and the next mm-hmm. thing you know, you look up and they'll make underwear and they'll make shoes, and you're like, bro, I just want the denim from you. So right. we try to really stick to that. Um, and through that. Uh, for example, we carry Nanamika, and so the guy behind Nanamika um, designs North Face Purple label. Mm-hmm. And so you can't get North Face Purple label in the U.S. unless you've got it's a whole that's a whole another story. It's a whole another podcast. But <laughs> uh, so you know we we'll, m- might have Nanamika sitting next to North Face to really tell that story of the why. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know someone might see North Face jacket for two hundred and Nanamika jacket for six hundred, and they want to know why. Well, okay. Well, let's let's show you fabric piece by piece why this is special and what makes this right um, digestible. And so we really think about that in that way. I guess from a merchandising standpoint, mm-hmm. but also from a visual standpoint. So the reason why I use the word "we" all the time is because, I mean, this is the first time in my life that I've ever had a team that I truly believe in. Every single person on my team that I truly want to work with, and they all want to work with me. Mm. And so everything that we do. You know, it's definitely a we, and whether that's you know the person making coffee, the person you know refilling the paper towels, we all really work as a unit, and mm-hmm. so each part of that clog, you know, is important. And so even with the people that work there, we never say they work for us; we we work together. Mm-hmm. It's also exchange. Like I need their talent just as much as they need sort of my driving power and energy to keep the building sort of facilitated and moved. Yeah, you kind of get that vibe when you're in there, though. Like, I was there the other day, and I feel like the people that were there were just super friendly, super down-to-earth, like, willing to help with anything, just knew so much about everything. Yeah, they're awesome. Do you have to, like, train them in a lot of things, or you just happen to find these kids that just know so much about streetwear? We, like I said, I mean, we're, we're so, like, blessed, man, because it's like everybody there, I really feel like, really wants to be there. And it also helps that... A lot of the team, uh, some of them we even met when they were like 15, 16 years old. Wow. wow. And there were these kids that we would just see at these stores and mm-hmm. we would keep up with them. And as they got older, they would say, hey, yo, you need help with that. Cool. Well, I need help with this. And we would always have this exchange. And I guess we never sort of like big bro them or like uncle them. We just always like, you know, sort of peer them in that way. So we always mm-hmm. looked at them as inspiring things. And like I said, man, I, I just would say, man, that's God, man. Just, like, putting the right people in your path. And, mm-hmm. like, but you got to recognize them when they come. So Right. So let's go back to Japan. So where nowhere is the store, the mythical store that you yes. said inspired somewhere? <laughs> yeah. So it's located in a neighborhood called Yurahara. And I think I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, so Harajuku, actually. You're a Harajuku. Yeah, I Harajuku. think that's the whole, yep. yes. Yep. So that neighborhood is obviously known to be an incubator for fashion, streetwear yep. in Japan. And it's pretty much influenced the world at this point. Yep. What do you think, or where in D.C., do you think we have a neighborhood like that that's influencing fashion in that way? I don't know. I would say, 
I mean, if you asked me that question 15 years ago, I would say Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if that's true anymore. Uh, if you asked me five years ago, I'd probably say H Street, but I don't know if that's true. Um, self-plug here, I think. Uh, come on down to Navy Yard, <laughs> <laughs> which I guess they're rebranding that, too. That's yeah. another name. That's right. a different story, too. Um, I don't know. I think the scene in D.C. is so sort of refreshed and rebooted. I think what happens in D.C. a lot of times is we have these ways of momentum. And for whatever reason, when they start ascending, they get knocked down and they kind of get shifted. Mm-hmm. And we saw that for a long time with music. Um, and yeah. then music sort of figures its way out, and I think fashion's the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Go-go particularly is what you're sort of referring to music-wise? Or? Yeah, well, I think, um, see, you know, when I was younger, especially like in the 90s, Go-go was like way bigger than rap. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I was one of those kids that liked rap more than Go-go. Don't tell anybody really? from around the way that way. Yeah, it was <laughs> weird. Man. I couldn't, I just remember, I couldn't get anybody to go with me to go see like, most definitely. It's like, that's weird. I'll go to the backyard. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess so. That's um, interesting. So, yeah. So, things like that will happen. Uh, but, yeah, neighborhood-wise, I don't know because I feel like the neighborhoods are changing so fast. And they're changing even names on what we refer to them as. Right. That I don't know how many neighborhoods still survive hmm. um, in their communal standpoint because it's all upside down. Mm-hmm. I would like to say that... Um, one thing I'm super proud of is that uh, people in my peer group, like um, Scooty and Ian and um, Abdul and, and all these guys, like we all are in the sort of same age range. Mm-hmm. And so we're all sort of, you know, now at that stage where we're, we're figuring out how to work together and how to, uh, you know, the economics of like how to get things sort of settled in a, in a cool way. Uh, you know, Modi and, and Quinn and those guys are a big, big inspiring piece of that. Mm-hmm. Marcel as well. Like, just sort of thinking about, okay, how can we come together and work these things out mm-hmm. uh, that makes sense? And so, like, neighborhood-wise, I don't think the neighborhood thing is, is a thing anymore as much as it's just, like, these sort of creative pockets that used to be sort of crews and cliques. Right. I think that barrier is kind of getting knocked down. And that's another reason why we designed it the way we did, because... You can't come in some way, like I said, you can't hide. There's no walls. No, it's very, can't. like, <laughs> I see you, aha. Like, even if you peek in the window, I saw you. So, like, you know, don't peek by and not say hi to me. It's okay. Yeah, and it definitely functions in that way. While I was there on Sunday, um, I was just able to, like, connect with so many different types of people from all mm. different sort of creative spheres in uh, various industries, which was really dope. I think that... Um, these mixed-use spaces around the city are sort of serving as creative incubators in a way because mm-hmm. we don't, quote-unquote, have like this sort of creative infrastructure like a New York or right. L.A. Or, or a place like that. But what role do you think streetwear sort of in D.C. plays in sort of helping to maintain the city's cultural identity? Well, I think the other thing, too, is... Um I think it's, uh, so D.C., uh, like when you go to like L.A., New York, and like I said, even Tokyo, mm-hmm. Paris even, um, we constantly run into guys from here. Really? And when I say guys, I'm not saying gender, so please don't, uh, you know, get me that way. I, people, I'm sorry. I use yeah. the wrong pronoun. I'm sorry. But we constantly run into people from here that we mm-hmm. know like very personally. Like, whoa, what are you doing? Oh, man, well, I do this down here and I control this thing. And it's so inspiring because it's like, man, like, un, like, knowingly we have affected and, like, 
sort of you know infiltrated all around the world mm-hmm. and so i mean it's the most inspiring thing where you're just like walking down the street in the city you've never been to in another country and you run into someone from here it's it's so like great especially as a black man it's the greatest thing it's the greatest feeling in the world mm-hmm. um and so i think that we are finally getting to a place because dc's um, always been a globally important city, mm-hmm. but it's all—it's always been like a small town, and so mm-hmm. uh, small town, big city, big city, <laughs> yeah, important city, but you know, it's just it's so small, and so yeah, uh, I think that the influence is all—you know—it's always been in the music, it's always been a little bit in the food, but now in the fashion, you're starting to see, um, that's why I said with the music, like especially with hip hop and R and B. You know, you see these influences. I mean, you know, we got someone like Raheem Devon walking around, and he's been mm-hmm. nominated for all kind of Grammys. Like, mm-hmm. you know, who else has done a song with UGK and, you know, has, you know, all these credits to his name? And yeah. That's, that's incredible. And right. so, you know, the ego's not there anymore. I think, uh, I think it's kind of cool that the neighborhoods, to a certain extent, aren't sectioning themselves off, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. Has the fashion industry been welcoming to you? Because I know you travel around the world. <laughs> have Have you faced any obstacles as a black man yeah. from D.C.? You know, you didn't study fashion. It's gotten better. Um, it used to be very uncomfortable. Um, I would say, so the first time I ever went to Paris, again, free spirit um, in that way. And I said, I got to get this thing done. I had this opportunity. And I booked a flight passport all that stuff in like three days and was like out like mm-hmm. literally drove through a snowstorm quarter flight a whole not wow and i get there and of course and again I'm, I'm not a little like guy so it's like a big black dude with a beard from dc <laughs> i do not speak french i do not speak Italian. i uh-huh. do not speak japanese i understand some things but i don't and i just you know and you know it, it's also like uh i don't sketch i'm not what they consider so initially it's always the sizing up Mm-hmm. Um, but I used to take that really personally. And then um, I learned to really embrace those that embraced me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, something I said to my wife a few years ago, she was having this party, and uh, she was, like, crying and going through all these changes about all these people that didn't make it onto the boat. It literally was on the boat, so don't it's not fair to <laughs> <laughs> And all these people missed the boat. And, man, they missed the boat. She going through changes, and I'm like, man, how how could you be – so upset about all the people that didn't make the boat, but you got a hundred people that here that want to be here. Mm. So, That's a word. you know, a lot of a lot of reasons why we sort of, um, or at least for me, why we really embrace a lot of like the companies in Japan and some of the companies like in Europe and even in LA is because they truly believed in the vision in us, and they never treated me that way. So, some of my strongest relationships are with people on the other side of the world that were just like, "Man, this dude from DC." Yo, I don't know if he if he's crazy or if he knows what he's doing, but I believe in him. So mm-hmm. it's gotten better. And as we sort of proven concept and said, we're going to do this, and we've done exactly what we said we were going to do, more people sort of believe in it. But, uh, you know, I don't hold grudges, but I don't forget anything. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In um, one of the articles I was reading, they sort of reference you sort of chasing down the guy behind Undercover in Japan <laughs> oh, man, <that laughs> in order a- to get that account inside of the store. Ooh, yeah, that what other lot. sorts of stories like that do you have behind sort of getting some of these international brands into somewhere? Yeah, I'm kind of a nut when it comes to that. Uh, so, <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, if it's, if it's a brand I really want, I'll find a way. Um, 
I'm trying to think. Should I say the name of this company? I'll tell you guys off air, but it was a very particular okay. company, mm-hmm. a famous company, a large company, important company, footwear company in the world. And the process of elimination, you'll probably figure it out. But I knew some people there, a little guy there, and he, it was really hard to catch up with them. And, man, yeah, your man figured out a way that the mail room ran. Some kind of way I ended up in that building. And I was walking around. I was like, man, I got to get this done. And you came in through the mail room? Oh, I came in through the mail room. I was going to get it done. <laughs> like, either security was going to get me out of there or I was like, going to walk out with what I wanted. <laughs> um, and, you know, we're not, you know, we're not selling, like, we're not selling, like, you know, dope. But, like, you know, or, like, holding anybody up at ransom. Like, at the end of the day, we're still spending money to make mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, man, this is the vision. If you just give me a chance, I'm a very, very passionate person. So if I truly believe in something, I'll believe in it to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we've had some situations like that um, where it's been interesting. We've had situations where um, brands have said no. And there's one brand in particular said no. And I said, cool, no problem. And then we ended up at a party with one of the founders like grandsons and we're hmm. eating he's like well how do you know them I was like well that's my friend and he told me I should come see you and then the story totally changes um so you know uh you know that happens quite a bit uh-huh. but uh yeah it's I, I got some wild some of the things I can't say for political reasons I'm sorry yeah. Philip, yeah, but no worries no, uh, we understand it, it's, it's, it's definitely been a doozy uh yeah so it's hard because you gotta think also in the fashion business some of these brands have uh, salespeople and people that handle the talent, right? And the designers sort of removed from that, so it depends. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna take a quick break. When we get back, we're gonna talk more with Dom Adams about somewhere and how he supports the DC community through fashion. We'll be right back. The track you're listening to during the break is by artist Keto. For more information, visit fullserviceradio.org and we will be right back. All right, welcome back to Black and Lit, powered by Full Service Radio. We're your hosts, Jasmine and Priscilla. And today we are here in studio with Dominic Adams. He goes by Dom. He's one of the co-founders of Somewhere, which is a brand new streetwear, high fashion, coffee shop meets retail store in Navy Yard. So we're super excited to have him here. Um, So he's been telling us a bit about, you know, how the concept came to be, what his inspirations are being a black man from D.C. in the fashion industry. And so, you know, we know here in D.C., there are a ton of streetwear brands. I mean, some of the original ones like Madness have been around for decades. So at Somewhere, at your store, how do you cultivate new brands coming out of DMV? Um, So what I do is, uh, so we, we don't carry a ton of, like, local brands. What we do is... What I personally take on is, like, I try to foster those relationships. So a lot of the younger brands, like um, like a Fortune or something like that, uh, which is a brand I really, I'm really into and I really think it's doing good work, mm-hmm. um, 
me and our boo have had a relationship since she was about like 17 years old. Wow. And so, you know, I'm always like a phone call away. And so although we, we don't carry the brand properly from a wholesale component in the store, um, there's not a pop-up or an activation that, you know, he could ever do around the city and I not support because, one, I support him, but I also think the product that he's putting out makes sense and it, it's something that I can really stamp and support in. And so what we try to do is we try to provide um, – a springboard more or less to like think about um you know experiences and things that we wish someone would have told us mm-hmm. um there's another brand uh river is wild we just did a um a pop-up shop in the shop in january during fashion week mm-hmm. and so he sort of did a takeover um and then we have other relationships with brands that have like ties to the area like die stars monday which we just did mm-hmm. a, a big capsule um release the other day i'm checking out your sweatshirt you're wearing it's oh, a diet yeah. What does it say? Diet starts somewhere? Diet starts somewhere. That's very it. true. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, cool. yeah, those guys are amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they just, I mean, yeah, that team is really amazing. Yeah. And so, yeah, the long story short on that, on the answer there um, is that we just try to be there. And so I just started this process during my week uh, that I was inspired by something we did with Joe Fresh Goods early in the year. Mm-hmm. And he does uh, these workshops. And so, okay well how can I adopt that and so I do office hours and so from 9 to 12 four days of the weekday I'm not going to tell you the days but um, (laughs) so pretty much like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday consistently Mm -hmm. um, I'm present on the floor so there's no phone, there's no computer, there's no iPad it's literally me sitting in our cafe area ready to go so if you ever want to ask me anything if you want to Try something out, bounce an idea, pitch a pop-up shop, show a brand. I'm there. And so for those three hours, I give more or less to the community to say, hmm. hey, come in. I don't know everything, but what I do know, you can have it. Because, mm-hmm. again, that's, that's a blessing that someone gave me. So, How can someone um, pitch you to have a pop-up in the store to, do, to showcase their sort of brand in this way? Like, yeah. what are you looking for so, in these sort of brands? I'm looking for, like, complete thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so, um, meaning that a lot of brands, from what I've seen, not trying to be the old guy in the room, but a lot of brands say, oh, I'm going to do a pop-up. Or I'm going to do this activation. And I say, okay, well, well who would come? Or, like, uh, you know, what are you selling? Is it a marketing mm-hmm. play or is it to sell commerce and things like that? So, uh, sometimes people want to do things on a Saturday. You're, you're probably not going to do a pop-up in somewhere on a Saturday, like pretty much probably ever, unless it's right. like a real like big draw of things. But doesn't mean we can't do something on, you know, for a two hour period of time on a Saturday, or we can do something on Wednesday. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the things that I'm looking for is a complete thought, visual, uh, commercially, um, and artistically. Like I just need a complete thought. So mm-hmm. whether that's if you're selling chairs or you're selling art, whatever it is, just come with a a complete fleshed out idea. Mm-hmm. What are maybe three key tips that you would give a young designer or someone sort of cultivating their brand to sort of take it to that next level? Um, I think, you know, when you have something, when someone you don't know or doesn't have a connection to you Mm -hmm. uh, is moved by it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, especially with young designers, again, you always start with those around you. But to a certain extent, you don't really know the truth about how they really feel. And so um, it's a street art project right now that I'm super inspired by called uh, Ulica Bazaar. Hmm. And Where's that? 
uh, they drop like objects all around town. Okay. Um, and well, I, I follow them on Instagram, and they're doing like this project where I guess they're dropping like a thousand cranes all around town, and they're free. And so uh-huh. the idea there is that it um, it's very inspiring because it's saying, hey, I don't care if only two people like this. I don't care if a thousand people like this. I'm just going to put this out there for the world. And, you know, I think once people see projects like that, then you start to see, like, how it emotionally captures someone. Mm-hmm. And then you have something. So I say those things to say that uh, you have to just put it out for the world to see, and let, but also be comfortable with letting the world judge it. Mm-hmm. Um, and their reactions are their reactions. You can never, you know, you can make a song about, I don't know, food, and somebody may think it's about your car, and mm-hmm. it takes a shape on its own. And that's the best thing about anything creative. Were you ever worried how people would receive somewhere? Every day. Every day still? <laughs> yeah, every day still. Because we, you know, so somewhere in, a, in, a, in an interesting block, there's nothing like us around us. Uh, and and so, it's developing really rapidly. Like, there's a really lot of fast. construction around there. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, that neighborhood that we're in, you know, it, it's very special and important to me uh, because it's close to where I grew up. But it, it's also in an area of town where there used to be all of these really strange clubs and like mm-hmm. nightlife kind of things mm-hmm. and so what i what i always wanted to do was i wanted to say hey i operate sort of in a niche 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 world that's like in the shadows we're on front street we're literally off of the main street we're between like two subways and like a bus route so my thought was always how do we put this out where anyone that wants access to it can have access to it mm-hmm. because a lot of times even when we talk about nowhere and we talk about all these cool stores a lot of time they're in these sort of hard to get to places. Right. And so, well, what happens if you just put it where anyone can have access to it? Because anyone can have access to the internet, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at somewhere, we use the blue. It's very close to, if you use an iPhone, the blue that you see on your phone. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're always clicking these things. Hmm. So this should more or less be the access point to, you know, this sort of world conversation. Mm-hmm. That's how we think about it. Hmm. Hence all the white with the blue lettering. Right. So, very calming very serene also oh yeah so what's the next move for somewhere are you planning a multi-city expansion are you guys opening in la next like what's the dream (laughs) um so the thought was always to build digital and physical at the same time because a lot of times people will build a real dope digital platform and no brick and mortar or they'll Mm -hmm. build brick and mortar and digital so we build digital and brick and mortar at the same time Mm. Uh, and so just kind of seeing with the path. Uh, one thing that was sort of shocking to us is we didn't want to be one of those stores that really pumped out our own in-house apparel line. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we sort of did these things sort of, you know, and experiment. And so I think when you came to the, the Friends and Family event in August, like mm-hmm. you saw, like we had shirts, but they didn't have like proper tags. And, yeah. you know, they were just they were kind of there just to see what would happen. And so what we do is we experiment, and we, we'll throw paint at the wall and see what happens, and then we'll get a little better and a little better. And so I think a big piece of, like, in-house will be some of our more, like, collaborative things. And so we, we're not really doing collaborations for the sake of doing collaborations. We, we do things with people that can do them better than us. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, again, like this tie-dye... Um, I guess it's tie-dye. Yeah. Uh, shirt that dabbing. It's like a and, yellow and blue and white tie-dye. It's yeah. Beautiful. Super cool. I don't know how to do this. You know, <laughs> but, um, you know, Davin, who's a really talented designer, did know how to do this. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's why we collaborated with him because he knew better and he knew how to do it. So, 
you know, those sort of things. So I see the future in we want to get into more like lifestyle products and sort of mm-hmm. expand that out. But in terms of locations, I'm open to a lot of things. Any women's gear? Um, so, yo, <laughs> Had yeah, to ask. We, no, we get a lot of conversation about that. And so somewhere from its inception, this brand mission was always to be uh, this men's and national fashion conversation. There mm-hmm. is another concept, though, that I've been cooking. And uh, I'll tell you the name of it when we get done. But okay. Okay. <laughs> it is it is a women's answer to somewhere. Okay. okay. Um, hopefully... It can get funded and it can work correctly. I'm excited I, I think about we that. Need that. I yeah. like I like being able to shop for cool sneakers and yeah. cool streetwear that is like has like a women sort of focus. Right. I agree. Yeah. I mean, if we had a bigger space and better fitting rooms and bathrooms and stuff, I would definitely be all about it. But mm-hmm. yeah, just in some way, just in our like our core and yeah. just our space. I don't think we could do it properly. And I never wanted to do a situation where, like, there's, like, a women's corner. Mm-hmm. And it's all, like, pink and purple. And I'm like, <laughs> no. my oh, mom's no. not that kind of girl. So no. I know, you know, it's a lot of people that are not that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, we want to do it. Whatever we do, we want to do it properly. Right. Mm-hmm. So we want to sort of take our steps and time into doing that. So. Yeah. Very cool. Damn, I'm bummed we're running out of time. I feel like there's so much more I want to talk to you about. <laughs> So we're going to have to do a round two at some point, especially okay. with that women's launch. So yeah. um, before we go, though, we do want to ask you our famous last question. Yes. <laughs> so say you're walking into somewhere, getting set up for the day and everything. What is the theme song to your life? What song would be playing? Hmm. You know, <laughs> this sounds crazy. I'm trying to think. Um, Odyssey has a song called like Strength and Weakness. Mm, yes. And it's, oh man, it's a beautiful song. And it, it just captures everything because he talks about different positions and places that you are mm-hmm. throughout parts of your life. And I think that would capture it like perfectly. I love, I love that. that. Odyssey is one of my favorites from here. So, so dope. Yeah. Very dope. All right, Dom, thank you so much for being here with us. Tell everybody where they can find your shop. Okay, so 1239 First Street Southeast. Yes, First Street Southeast, not Northwest, not Southwest, <laughs> Southeast. Uh, Washington, D.C., digitally, somewhereofficial.com, Instagram, somewhere.official. Dope, dope. And you can find us at BLCK, the letter N, L-I-T, and online at blcknlit.org. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to Black and Lit on Full Service Radio. We're super proud to partner with Full Service. You can find them on all online platforms at Full Service Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Peace.